Thank you, Daryl. And uh, appreciate your leadership and the ministry of our recreational ministry. There is, as Daryl was saying, an important one here at Taylor's. And speaking of prayer, I would like to invite you to join me uh, as we pray and come to his word this morning. Our Father, we're grateful for today. We're grateful for your love for us. And Lord, for the gift of life that you have come to give us. Uh, Lord, as we pray, uh, we lift up, as we just heard, our rec ministry. And Daryl and the team and all the volunteers and coaches and kids and families that walk in and out of that facility. Uh, Father, we pray your favor and your grace over all of them and for the ministry that happens and seeds that are planted and opportunities to see those seeds grow and to bear fruit of salvation and baptism and a journey uh, for kids and adults alike to begin with Jesus. And so, Lord, would you allow the efforts and the support all be part of bringing great glory to your name through that ministry. And Father, as we come to your word today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and take your word and plant it in our minds and our hearts and move in us to hear, but also to act in a way that you desire for us to. We pray that in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, good morning. You know, sometimes life turns out differently than we anticipated, doesn't it? You know, I'm not sure what kind of week you have had this week. Uh, it's probably been somewhat like mine in that it's probably been full of some ups and some downs, some, some highs and some lows. Uh, I had the privilege this week of spending an evening with some friends who were in ministry uh, in Georgia who had invited us to a ministry dinner and heard from a lady from uh, Iraq about how God is using her to help spread the gospel in that country and how the Lord is at work, even as we sit here today on the other side of the world. I had an opportunity to spend a sweet time with my, my third child at a daddy-daughter dance at Mitchell Road Christian Academy this week, just a sweet time with her, but also had a low uh, in that my 101-year-old grandmother, who I call Nana, fell and broke her hip this week. She was at a midweek worship service and um, had stood up. They were singing, and she went to sit down, and she missed her chair and hit the ground and broke her hip. Second hip she's broken in 10 months. But uh, praise the Lord. Many of you had heard about this and been praying for her. She's doing great. Um, she got sent to rehab back at Rolling Green where she lives, still lives independently at 101 years old. It's amazing. Uh, grandmothers, I was spending some time with her this week and thinking about what I said about life turning out differently than we anticipated. It reminded me of a funny story that I want to share with you as we begin. It's uh, one related to my oldest son, William, who is now in college, but at the time he was about eight years old, maybe nine. But he got really interested in playing the drums, and he's real musically oriented. And so there was a venue downtown where uh, we were going to go hear him play along with a bunch of others. And my grandmother was excited to go and hear this experience, this night of music. And so where they were, where they were performing was in a place that had three, three levels but there was no elevator. 
She's in her mid-90s, so you had to go up flights of stairs to get all the way to the third floor where the stage was, where they would be performing. And as my Nana is, uh, is walking up all of these stairs, she gets up to the top, and she says, you know, climbing up all these stairs makes me feel like I'm climbing to heaven. And she turned, and she went into the room, and there's this big stage and about 16 drum sets all over the place. And then she looks at me and she says, or maybe I've come to hell. <laughs> Turned out a little bit differently than she had anticipated. You know, I know that's kind of lighthearted humor and funny, but you know that's the truth, isn't it? Sometimes things turn out differently or take shape in ways that they don't, we don't think that they would. And I know that's something that you and I can all relate to. As you think about your own life, how have things turned out differently than you thought they might? Might be related to your job or career or your family. Uh, might be related to your health or dreams that you had. What about when it comes to your spiritual life? You know, in John chapter 3, Titus chapter 2, both of those chapters tell us the reason that Jesus came to earth. He came, number one, to redeem us from our sin, from our separated state from God. But it also tells us that he came to purify for himself a people of his own possession who would be zealous for good deeds. And in John chapter 10, he describes himself as the door, as in uh, those who enter through him will be saved. That is what Jerry was talking about last week, that initial step, that trusting and believing in Jesus Christ is the first step towards life transformation. But there's something else that Jesus said in John chapter 10 about why he came. Look with me, John chapter 10, verse 10. It says these words, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In contrast, I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. Jesus came to offer abundant life and life to the full. And in the context, as you read the verses that follow, he also calls himself the good shepherd. Uh, as opposed to those who were not good shepherds, who he's talking to, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious crowd. But as the good shepherd, he's the one that leads us to take not just the first step, as Jerry talked about, but continued and additional steps towards life transformation and into a greater and deeper experience of the abundant life towards spiritual nourishment and blessing that is characterized, he says in John chapter 17, by deep spiritual knowledge of himself. And so Jesus came not only to bring spiritual life to us, but he also came to bring us the best quality of life. Listen to these words of, uh, of, of, from years ago, A.W. Pink, a Bible teacher in the United Kingdom. He said this, how I wonder have Christians so often given the impression that the life they live is a negative affair, full of occasions when they must say Christians must not do this and never do that and lacking sheer enjoyment. The Christian life 
is an exuberant affair, full of joy of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in reading those words, they're lofty words. But sometimes I wonder how many people enter into their Christian life with high expectations of how things are going to turn out, of what their life with Jesus is going to be like, but later feel that things have turned out different than they anticipated. People who have taken that first step of placing their faith and their trust in Christ, but feel as if what they're living and experiencing is a far cry from what Christ called life to the full. And so as Alan has been walking through this uh, series in Philippians, his premise has been that life doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. And I believe, in reading these words of Jesus and sharing with you, I think Jesus' offer is genuine. And like the box top may be to a puzzle, what I want to do today is just give you what you might think about as the box top of the abundant life to get the big picture. And we could drill down, if I, as I share some of these things, any number of things, we could take a lot more time and drill down on any of them that I'll mention. But as we consider this life today that God intends, uh, I want to ask and answer three questions. Number one, to help us understand what the abundant life is. And then second, how we can live the life God intends for us. And so what I'd like to do is look at what is the abundant life. Second, what are some things that prevent us from living and experiencing the abundant life? And then lastly, how can we live out and within the abundant life that Christ offers to you and me? And so first one, let's look at this. What is the abundant life? It's not about what we have or what we get as it relates to externals of earthly life. It's not about having optimal circumstances. It's not about offering material prosperity and things, but rather it has to do with an internal or an inner quality of life. And it's about what we receive from the Lord. It's what we receive from the Lord, life that is far better than anything we could imagine. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And so let me mention to you really quickly three qualities of the abundant life. Number one, and it's not exhaustive. These are just three that I selected. Number one, it's a spiritual life. It is a spiritual life. In verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. That word life is the word zoe. It's life that we receive as a result of putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. It's this idea of eternal life. And the way John uses this term throughout his gospel refers to the life that the follower of Jesus possesses even in this life that we live now. John 5, 24, Jesus said this, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, present tense. Now the fullness will come later, but we have the opportunity. We have life that is given to us by Christ now. And two, Jesus is the source of this life that comes to us. John chapter 1, verse 4 mentions that about Jesus 
in him was life, right? And this life was the light of men. And then he also says not just about life, but he gives a quality. He says it's life that they may have it abundantly. It's a word that means exceeding or beyond what is necessary, more than one could expect. I was watching television yesterday for a little bit, and I saw a commercial. Y'all like the Geico commercials? Some, sometimes I really like them, and sometimes I kind of go, okay, how do these two things fit together? But there was one where this is a picture. I don't know if y'all have seen it. These, it's like these guys in the oil fields are standing there, and all of a sudden they look at each other and say, man, can you believe it? And the guy says, we hit the mother load of soft serve ice cream. And then it, the, the, the camera uh, you know, pans over to these guys and they're standing there with hard hats and it's like filling up their hard hat with all this ice cream and this guy's bringing uh, wheelbarrows of cones and they're holding it and it's spilling over. And, and at the end, the guy looks up and it's a rainbow of colors behind him. He says, we just struck sprinkles. And he's standing there with his mouth open, right? It's that idea, that's the picture. It's, it's excess. It's more than we could ever dream possible. That's what Jesus said about the abundant life. Second, it is a spirit-directed life. It is a spiritual life, but it is a spirit, as in the Holy Spirit-directed life. In Galatians chapter 5, if we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us walk by or follow, keep in step with the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, he says, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In other words, if you follow the Spirit's lead, he will lead you towards what is godly. He will lead you towards bearing out those kinds of things that he talks about as the fruit of the Spirit will be characteristic of our lives. And in order for us to be able to do that, to walk and to keep in step with, it requires that we are spirit-filled, meaning controlled by. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about being filled with the Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine because when you have too much excess wine, it takes over and takes control. He says, rather be filled with the Spirit of God that you and I ought to be controlled in our thoughts and our actions and everything that we do by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And so the central issue of the spiritual life is about being under the continual influence of the Holy Spirit. And it's not a matter of us getting more of the Spirit, but about the Holy Spirit getting more of you and me so that He can lead us and direct us towards this third quality, which is this a life that God intends with both present and future implications. I mentioned that a moment ago. Eternal life is a word that means unending. It doesn't mean later. Okay, eternal life has come to us, John chapter 5. And Jesus said this too in Luke chapter 18. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom. He said, no one who does that will fail to receive many times as much, listen, in this age and in the age to come. So there's blessing and an abundance that Christ wants to introduce us to and to lead us towards is something we can begin the process of experiencing even now. And so let me, let me just mention this definition of the, the spiritual life, or you may use the word abundant life here, is the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit, resulting in a loving relationship with Jesus that produces an obedient response to the Word of God. 
That's a mouthful. But it's a pretty good encapsulation of, of what the spiritual life is really all about. It's about reproducing the life of Christ in my life and in your life. And God's goal is, as Romans 8, 29 tells us, to be conformed, for you and me to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to become more and more like him as we grow and as we mature. The abundant life is life that transforms us into people who are fully alive. I love the quote that I think is up there, Irenaeus, the glory of God is man fully alive. But you know, becoming fully alive is not automatic. It's just like Jerry said last week, it's not automatic that, that these kinds of things happen, that life transformation takes place. Um, it can be challenging, right? There, there are specific things that must be done. There's a decision that has to be made, and there are other decisions that must be made as well. And so what I want to do for a moment is look at this second question. What are some things that prevent us from being able to experience the abundant life? Number one, it's a partial view or perspective of the spiritual life results in a limited practice. I don't know if you've read the book Waking the Dead uh, by John Eldridge, but he writes these words in his book that paints a picture uh, that's, that's vivid. He says, the journey that we're taking is hardly down the yellow brick road. We may set out in the light with hope and joy, but eventually our path always seems to lead us into the woods. Shrouded with low-lying mist, a journey that most of the time feels like fog, like the bathroom mirror after a hot shower, like driving along the road with a dirty windshield and then turning into the sun, right? You get the picture? Sometimes life kind of takes us down this path where we just can't seem to see and have clarity, just like trying to see through a dirty windshield or trying to look into the mirror after getting out of a hot shower and the fog that's, that's there. And there's a desire that you and I have for clarity and to be able to understand and to see. And you and I, we need eyes to see. We, now I'm just not talking about physical eyes and our physical sight, but we need spiritual eyes to be able to see what God desires, what he's offering for us. And that's another reason that Jesus came. In Luke chapter 4, it says he came that he might offer recovery of sight to those who are blind. Ephesians 1.18, he prays, Paul does, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, Paul desired that they would experience a greater depth of understanding and development in their life with Christ. Even as believers, to continue to grow and to expand and to see with more and more clarity. And you know what? The last part of that talks about limited practice. You know, if we don't see the full picture, not just our understanding, but our, our practice of the spiritual life is out of proportion. I remember um, um, at, when I was at Furman going into the weight room, I used to exercise and enjoyed that. I haven't done as much of that lately, but I remember there was a guy that was in the weight room and I, I remember looking at him. His name was Mark. And from his waist up, I mean, this guy was built out. I mean, he was just muscular, his form, everything. But his legs were this big around. And I just remember looking and saying, you know, there's something about the proportion 
there that's out of whack. And I, I share that with you because it's a visual of what can happen in our spiritual life when we overemphasize some things or we underemphasize other things. So we'll talk about that a little bit uh, in just a few moments. But number, number three, the abundant life is a life, or second, it's, it's not uh, or, or is one that is opposed, I should say. The abundant life is a life that is opposed by a spiritual enemy and forces of evil. Uh, this is probably no surprise to any of us in the room, but you and I are at war. I don't know if we wake up thinking about that uh, every day, uh, but life is not lived out on a playground. We are actually engaged in a spiritual war on a battlefield. That's the Christian life, and it's opposed by an enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, is it? But it's against who? The rulers and the principalities and the powers of the world of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so it's not automatic because there's an enemy, a very real enemy that's trying to prevent you and me from experiencing life to the full. Third, we live life in a constant undertow of busyness and distraction. This is not a shocker either. If you just think about our culture, there's no shortage of busyness and activities and things that, that we're engaged in and distractions that can come our way. I mean, just think about what's happened with the development of the iPhone, you know, and how that's changed our daily life and the accessibility that people have to one another and the information overload, right? Another is we've lost touch with our heart. The pull of the current of the world, John Eldridge says, is always towards a loss of heart. And we're told to be wise is to watch over our heart with all diligence because from it flow the wellspring of life. And I, I came across um, a story. I, I don't know how many of you have read The Wizard of Oz in the novel, but the movie leaves out something that I thought was very interesting about the Tin Man. And the Tin Man was actually a real man at one point in time, and he fell in love with a maiden, and he wanted to get married. And he loved her, but the Wicked Witch hated the fact that he had love in his heart, and so she cast this spell on him. And the spell was to make his limbs fall off one by one. So they had to be replaced with tin. And so he was very efficient and he was strong and he was able to, uh, to chop wood and be a good woodman. But, but at one point she cast another spell and it made him, his ax slipped and cut his upper body in half. And so the tinsman had to come and give him a body of tin. And so all of a sudden he has become this tin man in full. But guess what? With the tin body, there was an absence of heart that was in there. And all of a sudden, he began to say, I don't know what love is anymore. I don't really care if I get married or not. And so this idea of loss of heart was something that as he stood there and was rusted until Dorothy came to rescue him, he thought the greatest loss I've experienced is the loss of my heart. And I want to go see the wizard to give me a heart again. Because he understood how important the heart was And without it, he had become a hollow man and just a machine. And you know what? Our enemy that we talked about a minute ago knows how vital and central our heart is to living the abundant life. And so they're intertwined together. Lastly, the last obstacle is striving to live in the strength of our flesh. 
trying to live the spiritual life in the strength of our flesh or our muscle, our pull our boots uh, up by the bootstraps kind of idea, rather than striving to accomplish the spiritual life in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in John 10, the context of what the verse that we're talking about, Jesus um, is speaking towards the Pharisees, the religious crowd. And what they were proclaiming and promoting was a lifeless religious experience and existence based on obedience to tradition and rituals and sacrifice. And Jesus, what he says is that what they're promoting is the opposite of life. He says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, what's being promoted will remove you from the good shepherd, the one who can give true life, that it will steal, kill, and destroy. It's a lifeless, like I said, religious existence. And Paul reminds us in Colossians, he says, I labor, you guys remember this, I labor, striving according to whose strength? His strength that mightily works within me. And so it's a spiritual life is one that's got to be undertaken. But there's this temptation for us to not rely on the Spirit of God, but to rely on ourselves or to muscle up our old man to try to make it happen. And so those are some obstacles. So lastly, let's let's look at this last question. How can we live the abundant life that Christ offers us? And there's a slide here I think that we have uh, or hope, hope that will come up called the gift of abundant life. And there are four components that I want to uh, share with you this morning. And the first is, number one is the gospel. And this is repent and receive Christ as your Savior. Repent and receive Christ as your Savior. That's step one. That's what Jerry talked about. I'm not going to spend much time explaining that because he did that very well last week. But that decision that we make, that initial step and that process is what takes us from death to life. It's what takes us <clears throat> from darkness to light, from being under God's wrath to being under God's grace. And so repenting and receiving Christ as Savior is the point of entry into the abundant life. But it continues in the second section is identity. And I've put there rest and rejoice in your new identity. It's where we live in Him. First, we accept Him. But second, this is where we live in Him, in Christ. Listen to these words of Ken Boa. In our culture, we tend to be human doings rather than human beings. The world tells us that what we achieve and accomplish determines who we are. But the Scriptures teach that who we are in Christ should be the basis for what we do. The dynamics of growth are inside out rather than outside in. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 reminds you and me, Alan has touched on this in the Philippians series, but we have been made new, right? Old things have passed. New things have come. We're not simply refurbished, but we are reborn as a new creature, as a new creation. And that new creation comes with a new identity and a new position. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, Christ became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That you and I are positionally righteous 
before God. God has wrapped us in his robe of righteousness and has given us a new identity. That's what it means to be in Christ. We just sang that in a hymn a little bit ago, that you are our righteousness, right? It's not something that we bring. It's something that Christ brings. We have been forgiven of the penalty of sin because Christ died for us. And that makes God proclaim that, look, you are no longer guilty, but you are justified and positionally righteous. It also comes, not only does it include a new position, but new identity includes a new power. We've talked about the Holy Spirit a little already, but we have been set free from the power of sin. That when we come into, into the relationship with Christ, it's like we were in a straitjacket or handcuffs and God has released us and taken us from a place of spiritual bondage and placed us on a platform of spiritual freedom. And that's a freedom not to do whatever we want, not to abuse grace, but we have a freedom to live into the power of the Holy Spirit, the life that God has called us to live, uh, to, to, to live a life that is worthy of the calling that he's given to each one of us as his children. And so this identity that I'm referring to is not something that, that, uh, that we earn. Y'all remember the old Smith Barney commercials and John Houseman? He said, we make money the old-fashioned way. We what? We earn it, right? When it comes to our identity, that's not true at all. We don't earn this identity. It is an identity that's given to us. It's much like the identity you received when you were born into your family. You didn't have anything to do with that. But you were given an identity from your parents, right? You became a son or you became a daughter and you kind of inherited that identity from who they were. And it's the same thing in our relationship with Christ is that identity, the starting place for receiving that is a gift. Listen to these words of Graham Cook. Identity is the key to transformation. You don't become a new person by changing your behavior. Instead, you discover the person you already are in Christ and act accordingly. That is what it means to be alive in Christ, is to recognize who we are in Him and to live from that place, from that identity, right? Third, not only is it about resting uh, in our and rejoicing in our new identity, but we're to relate and to remain with Christ. That's the third piece. That's the third gift, if you will. The gift of the gospel, the gift of a new identity also comes with the gift of intimacy with Christ. And this is where we relate to and remain with Christ. We're doing life or we are living with Him. And so as a child of God, you're positionally an heir and a son or daughter with access to enjoy Him. The spiritual life isn't just about doing things for God. It is, gives us the privilege of being in relationship and to know Him and to enjoy Him. We're going to enjoy Him forever. We have the opportunity in the abundant life through this gift of intimacy of having access because of Christ to come in to enjoy Him, to do life Together, John 15, one of my favorite passages, talks about this, this whole concept of abiding in Christ. It just means to remain in, to stay connected to. And we know that if you're disconnected from the vine, there's no chance of fruit coming forth. And so this intimate connection is required in order for 
the fruit to come forth in our life as people who are seeking to walk and to follow Christ. I've always loved these verses in Mark chapter 3 that speak of what Jesus did and the importance of with Him moments. Jesus said of the disciples, He appointed 12 that they might be with Him and that He might send them out to preach. He called them to come together for the purpose of sending them out. But it was during those times that they were together with Him, doing life together, watching Him, learning from Him, being encouraged by Him, being reproved by Him, corrected and taught. It's, they were growing they were also being equipped and prepared so that when he did send them out to preach and to cast out demons, as verse 15 says, that they were ready to do that. And it takes that with him to be able to cultivate those capacities. And so when you think about this idea of being intimate with Christ, the cultivation of godly habits of being with God alone consistently is important. And I'm going to mention these three. I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence. Some of these may sound like a blinding flash of the obvious to you. But the reality is we know these things, but how often we tend to practice them consistently uh, leaves a lot of room for discussion. But number one is silence and solitude, a balance one of my teachers used to say it's important to have and to live a balance between time with people, balance it with time in isolation from people. Ministry is like that. You look at the pattern of the life of Jesus. He was with people a lot, but he also withdrew, right? He also had time of isolation to be with his father. And that's not only silence and solitude, but the practice of prayer. I've always loved this quote. I've shared it often. It's worth repeating. But E.M. Bounds said this, to be much alone with God. That's the secret of knowing him and of having influence with him. You know, Jesus, Mark chapter 1 says he went away early in the morning and he spent time regularly with the Father. That's how the disciples knew where to find him because he consistently would go to this place and he would pray and have time alone so that the Father could pour into him and fill up his tank so that he would be ready to minister in accordance with how God wanted to lead him to touch the lives of people, right? And number three, the Word of God is essential for three things. It's essential for growth. Time in the Scriptures is the number one catalyst that leads to transformation and growth in a believer's life. That's why D groups are important. All our ministries are based on Scripture. One of the things about D groups is the goal is not just to have people sitting under the teaching of another, but it's to help engage people to get personally engaged with the Word of God for themselves. And it's essential for three things for spiritual growth. Peter says, crave the pure spiritual milk of the word so that you may grow, right? It's essential for maturity. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use, that's how you become mature. You don't become mature just because you get older. You get mature because you take the word of God and you put it into practice and through constant use are able to discern good from evil. And then lastly, spiritual effectiveness, 2 Timothy chapter 3 God's scriptures, God breathe. It's useful for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. And you know, when we spend time cultivating this idea of intimacy, you know what happens? This idea of loss of heart, the tin man that I talked about, 
It's in our intimacy with Christ that that God helps us to recapture that heart. Just like when the tin man said, I'm going to the wizard to get a heart. When we come to Christ, he can restore things that are broken, things that have been lost. And it's in him that we have that hope. Lastly, going. To reach others for Christ and reflect his love. This is where we live through him. We live in him, we live with him, and then we live through him. Or you may say live for him as we go. That is what we're called to do in the Great Commission. And, and don't miss this as you think about these four gifts, this gift that has four components, if you will. There's a correlation between being and doing because it's in the being is where we discover and receive the power to then go and do and to do effectively in the world of ministry. You know, the quality of who we're sending out to go is enhanced when we focus on helping people to understand this identity that Christ has given them in Him and this intimacy that's cultivated, that we're to equip and we're to focus on being, but always with the purpose and mind of going. John chapter 20, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, so I send you. It's a Spirit-directed life. And so as we go, we're to seek the wisdom of the Spirit about, Lord, where would you have me go? How would you have me go? To whom would you have me go? It's an opportunity that when we're with Him to be transformed because transformed lives transform lives. That God wants to change you and me in order that you and I can be sent as, as a disciple the way we define it here is one who's been changed by, walks with, and is sent by Jesus. That we're changed and we're transformed so that we can be engaged in the process of, of being used by Him to bring about transformation in the lives of other people. Well, this week I had my car down at Goodyear, right down here on Wade Hampton, to have something fixed. And, and while I was there, uh, I had them rotate and balance my tires. Had your tires balanced on your cars. And there's a reason that we do that. And this idea of the balancing, the be and the do, the abundant life. You know, when, when you balance tires, you have to add weights around certain parts of that tire in order to keep everything in balance. And the reason that you do that is so that you achieve optimal performance, so that you minimize the wear and the tear, right? Uh, so that you achieve a smooth ride that they're designed to produce. And so just like that, we need balance between not only coming into abundant life by trusting Christ, but resting and rejoicing in that identity and, and, and remaining in Him, but then reaching out and reflecting the love of Christ to other people. So as you think about what we've talked about this morning. Which, which of those four components, which area do you need to add some weight to, to place some emphasis on in order that your life will have a proper spiritual life proportion, right? So that you and I can walk. Do you need to receive Christ? Do you need to cultivate that intimacy? Do you need to 
focus on your identity or do you need to reach out to someone that God has put in your life? Think about that this week. Pray about that this week. And listen, as I started, when things turn out different, if you're going, look, my spiritual life has turned out differently than I thought, don't let that discourage you. It has for most all of us, I would imagine, (laughs) to some degree, things have turned out different than we thought. But the important thing is start where we are. Start wherever you are. Because I don't think the abundant life is a pie-in-the-sky concept. I think it's a genuine offer that you and I can walk in and discover through through the gospel, through our identity, through intimacy, and through going and being a light for Christ in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the offer of abundant life that Jesus Christ brought to us. Thank you, Father, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for being one who meets us wherever we are. Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, for myself and I pray for us collectively today that, Lord, you would just um, allow some of these thoughts to rattle around in our heart and our mind this week. That by the Holy Spirit, you would direct and guide us towards how we can take the next step, the continued steps of experiencing what you came to offer, life to the full. Lord, if there are folks here today that need to take that step of receiving Christ as we sing in a moment, I just invite them to come and we would love to have the opportunity to share with them how they can enter into the abundant life. Lord, maybe it's coming and being a part of this church as Jerry talked about last week or taking a step of baptism. Lord, maybe it's just offering ourselves to you as we sing as an a living sacrifice, Lord, and saying, help me to walk in and to experience the fullness of all that you've created for me. Lord, would you move and work? It's only you can in Jesus' name we pray.